0: Welcome to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Now, there's a dangerous ideology that has crept and made its way into the church, and I think that for many Christians, we are completely unaware of this, and it's the idea of scientism and secularism, and how these views are affecting what we think and how we approach Christianity. And to join me to discuss these important topics is Dr. J.P. Moreland, uh, a very distinguished guest because he's a distinguished professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, He has degrees in chemistry, a THM from Dallas Theological Seminary, a a master's in philosophy, and a PhD from the University of Southern California. JP, you've edited and uh, and, uh, contributed to about 95 different books, 90 journal articles, and were just voted uh, in 2016 as one of the most influential living philosophers. Where do you have time to contribute to 95 books and 90 journal articles?
1: Well, I work while I'm going to the restroom. So,
0: <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, and joining me to discuss your new work uh, today.
1: It's a privilege.
0: Yeah, so we're going to be talking about JP's new book, Scientism and Secularism, Learning to Respond to a Dangerous Ideology. And I want to jump right in because we only have a short amount of time. Uh, so first, maybe for those that are now already confused, what is scientism? What is secularism?
1: Well, scientism is... Uh, a theory of knowledge and how we know things. And it basically says the only way we can know truth about reality is if is through the hard sciences, physics, chemistry, uh, neuroscience, and biology. So if you can test something and prove it in the laboratory in one of the hard sciences, well, then we can know it. But if you can't, then it's nothing – what Any claim that can't be so tested is just an expression of emotion, it's a private opinion, and so on. And so this leads to uh, the, the dismissal of religious claims like the resurrection of Jesus and moral claims like uh, certain things are right and wrong. So scientism is a theory of knowledge, and the reason it leads to secularism is because uh, scientism uh, supports the worldview that the physical world that the hard sciences studies, all there is. And so uh, look at our culture. You witness to somebody, Ryan, and they say to you, well, you can't prove that scientifically. Mm -hmm. And they're assuming that if you can't prove something scientifically, you can't know it. And the Christian community has retreated to blind faith. Well, that's okay if we can do it. We still believe it, and we trust God by faith, where faith means just a choice to believe. And that is not keeping kids who are released from high school and college in in the church. Yeah, They're abandoning the church and Christianity, and it's because we have not told them why they believe what they believe.
0: And that was a po- recent podcast that I just did was on the reasons why students are leaving the faith, and one of them is because of science. Right, the Christianity Absolutely. is unscientific. Now, how would you then say that science and, and faith go together if, if maybe we don't have to prove everything scientifically in order to know it, but at the same time, uh, would we use science in order to show the truth of Christianity in some ways?
1: Well, yes. I, I would rather—rather rather than saying how do science and faith go together, I would rather say how do the things that we know— in science relate to the things we know in theology, or biblically, or philosophically? How do these relate? And I would say uh 95% of science is utterly irrelevant. I mean, I don't. I say in the book, Scientism and Secularism, I don't care if methane has four uh, hydrogen atoms or 15, it doesn't make any difference to me, I'm not going to lose my salvation one way or the other. Uh, Of the other five percent, I would say three percent has helped Christianity, discoveries that the universe has a beginning, that it's fine-tuned, the difficulties of trying to get life from inanimate matter, things like that. But the other two percent has raised problems. Most of them, though, have nothing to do with the existence of God and the fundamental truths of Christianity Most of those problems are with the the historicity of the early chapters of Genesis. So that I I cover all this in the book and uh, give people, uh, I think, readable answers as to how to respond to these claims.
0: So you obviously think that these claims are big enough in the church that you needed to write a book about it. What would be uh, the, kind of the target audience? Are you, are you aiming for parents? Are you aiming for students? Uh, who are you trying to, to get to see the the problems of these views within the church?
1: Well, boy, you're asking such good questions. We've got to do another interview here, but—
0: Let's do it. <laughs>
1: let's do it. Absolutely. Um, my primary audience is uh, parents, Christian school teachers, uh, youth directors, and those who um, uh, train and teach are—, ki- are Middle school kids and high school kids and so on. Uh, my second audience would be, so, so parents, my second audience would be high school and college students who are beginning to doubt their faith and don't know what's going on and why. Um, knowledge matters because we give dentists the authority to speak in public and to define reality. Uh, because we assume, uh, in regards to teeth, because we assume they have the relevant knowledge. Mm-hmm. If 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 scientism implies that religious leaders and theologians don't have any knowledge, they just have a bunch of utterly unknowable assertions uh, because they can't prove them in the hard sciences. So what that means is our kids go through school and they see science as this authority, but their own religion is this sort of—I uh, don't know—dismissible thing. Yeah. And and people just dismiss Christian evangelists because they don't play, they don't think they know anything.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I just did a survey in my class, and I'm I'm happy to say that as a Christian school teacher who's read this book, my students should be able to divine both scientism and secularism and understand what those are. Um, but it, even in my classroom the other day, I kind of did a truth test of, you know, uh, is this an objective truth or subjective truth? And, and talk about, you know, uh, hydro, you know uh, water is made up of H2O. And they all say that's objective. You know, two plus two is four. That's objective. Uh, God exists. And my students at least said that's objective. But yeah. then when I said, but then when I said Jesus is the only way and Jews are wrong, they, most of them switched to subjective. And I said, why? Well, because you're saying someone's wrong. Right. Yeah, That's just your belief.
1: Exactly. Unbelievable. And, and your students are lucky to have you because you are a rare bird. I could tell that from looking at you when I first got on the show here. But still, you're a rare bird anyway. <laughs> that was a joke. But um, but, uh, Ryan, we have to spread uh, the importance of, uh, of scientism and secularism to our school teachers because it will equip parents and teachers, to understand what is going on at the very bottom of, of generating this secular culture and Christian cowardice and fear and lack of confidence and how to, and what to do about it in a readable way. And I think that's what I'm up up to here.
0: Yeah. So in chapter one, you talk about how scientism is actually in the very air that we breathe. How does influence both you know the high school as well as the college? How has scientism affect schooling in the United States?
1: Well it, yes it what it does is that uh, it makes um, science it is labeled with deeply cognitive terms. It's knowledge, it's uh, based on evidence, it's uh, rational, whereas a religious claims are treated with non-cognitive terms. They're described as private opinions or personal beliefs or feelings that your family may hold. And and this has actually happened in the state of California in the California framework that that is an official document to equip teachers with what to say to students who don't believe in evolution. And they're supposed to say, well, look... This is science. It's based on evidence. It's there's no reasonable doubt. This is this is what we know. And you have personal religious reservations and personal feelings. Well, you can discuss that at home. Yeah. And that's the kind of two tiered view. We know water's H2O, but uh, God exists or Christ is the only way. Well, you know, we, yeah, we can believe that or not, but we can't really know it. Yeah. Wow, that's just—I'm not, I'm not in with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and even in that test, I, I went over then a moral truth came, right? That, that it is wrong to take the life of an innocent human being or, you know, that with an elective abortion. Or it's wrong to have sex before you're married. You know, I had quite a few students that said, well, that's different. You know, that's just—that's that's morality. That's different than, than science.
1: There you go. That's, there, you, there you there's know. the
0: view right there. So, so that's kind of how it's affected you know, the schools. But I think one of the main things is most of the listeners are going to be people in the church. And you have a chapter, two is about how scientism has affected the local church. And that one is that it puts Christianity outside the plausibility structure. Uh, what do you mean by it puts Christianity outside the plausibility structure?
1: Well, thank you. Uh, a plausibility structure would be uh, the things in a society— that people would say, I'm not sure I believe this, but I'll, I do admit it's, it could very well be true, it's plausible to me, and if somebody wants to give a talk about it, I'm willing to hear them out. Um, so uh, something uh, plausible would, would be something that people would say it really could be true, and they're willing to hear a case for it. Uh, flat Earth, is if somebody wanted a lecture on a flat Earth, that's not in the plausibility structure. Now, if something isn't in the plausibility structure of a society, people won't listen to it. They're going to dismiss it and say, well, I don't need to listen to that. That's not even plausible. Hmm. It's ridiculous. So if Christianity is placed outside the plausibility structure, like belief in a flat earth, then then when we witness or when we raise kids or when we preach the word to people in our congregations – If they've absorbed this, then the only way they can stay Christians is by a sheer act of blind choice to believe. And that will not sustain people, because in the Bible, faith is confidence or trust based on what we know. And if we can't know anything, you're going to get students that are going to say, well, that's different. Yeah, Yeah. well, it's different and in, in not in a good way, Ryan. Yeah.
0: And with that, I mean, one of the examples of that, would you say, are miracles, that we talk about the miracle of the resurrection or any miracle in Scripture, and that's immediately dismissed as that's not scientific, that can't be proven, that's obviously false.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, you're right. And the sad thing is that we're living in a day when there are more miracles that are breaking out around the world than than even in the first century book of Acts, There are people being healed, uh, and and the miracles, especially in unevangelized areas in the Muslim world and Africa and so on, China, oh, my gosh, they're breaking out. And uh, at the very time when that's happening, we have the attitude because of scientism and the secularized culture that the Western world is, we have a distrust of miracles because, of course, science you know, allegedly says they can't happen. You're so right.
0: And so what this does is, as you mentioned, I think this is so true, is that this causes us to offer the gospel simply as what works for someone rather than what is actually true, right? Our students are Christians because that's how they grew up, that's because it makes me happy, that's because it, you know, makes my life better, versus I believe it because it's just true.
1: Well, absolutely, and and, um, not only do we not offer the gospel because it's true, But even more importantly today, we don't tell people that this is actually something that you can know to be true. You don't have to accept this by faith, meaning just a blind choice. Now, now you have to accept it by faith if you mean enter into it. You have to place your trust in God, but it's not an act that's not based on what we can know. We know God exists. We know that the New Testament is historically reliable. Yada, yada, yada. So um, you're right. Uh, We have changed the way we present the gospel and it's marginalized us.
0: You you go on to say that that how it's also created some shifts in our culture. Uh, One that you've kind of already mentioned a couple times that we've gone from a shift from having knowledge to blind faith. Another one that you talk about is that we've shifted from focusing on truth to immediate satisfaction of desire. Right? Yes. How would this affect our, our students?
1: Yes, good question. In the book, I, I, I list five shifts that have happened because of scientism, and I warn parents and teachers about to be on the lookout for this. One is the shift from truth to the satisfaction of desire. Now, why is that? Well, people used to seek wisdom and and knowledge and truth as a way to guide their lives. They They didn't want to live a life that was foolish and unwise and so they sought biblical wisdom and wisdom from people that seemed to have it and so on but but if you can't know truth then you can't know what's the right wisdom and what's the wrong wisdom so you can't guide your life any longer on truth because you can't know it well something has to fill that vacuum what am i going to what am i going to look to to guide my Search in life, and the answer is going to be the immediate satisfaction of my desires. And so, if I desire something, then it's perfectly okay for me to get it. That means if I desire sex before marriage, or if I desire to call myself uh, a different gender, or I desire uh, to um, become uh, a pluralist in religion and believe. all truths are are true for the person. Whatever I desire is okay. If I desire an abortion, who are you to tell me that I can't satisfy my desires? So we're getting narcissists and all kinds of pe- things that are emerging because of this shift.
0: And I think one thing it's done, and, and I read this in your book, and, and I highlighted it. I marked it up. I even called some people and immediately shared the quote with them. Uh, But I think that you you mentioned something that made this very visual, I guess, for me and what I've seen in the church. And you said this, you said, we try to grow the church by using watered down, intellectually vacuous, simplistic preaching that is always applied to the parishioner's private life while failing to deal from the pulpit with the broad cultural, intellectual, and moral issues facing us all by emphasizing worship and good Christian music and by trying to get people into small groups. There's nothing wrong with the last two practices but conspicuously absent from any place in weekly church practice for people to learn, for their minds to be stretched, for learning to defend the faith, for becoming godly, intelligent ambassadors for Christ. Wow, that's a very strong statement. What, what brought you to, to say something? I, I mean, it seems very strong to me.
1: Well, what brought me to that is I've turned—in November, it was my 50th year as a Christian, and I have spoken— on 200 college campuses and in probably 400 churches in 40 to 45 states over the last 50 years, and so I think I know a little bit about what's going on, yeah. and I am not seeing anywhere where people are equipped to to think about uh, how, how to how to deal with the sexual, uh, the, the gay LGBTQ stuff um politics who when when is the last time a pastor tried to give from the pulpit a biblical view of the state now i hear pastors say well that's controversial well shoot jesus was controversial you don't have to be you don't have to be a jerk about it yeah uh, and you don't have to say look if you don't agree you, you're you're welcome here. I'm just telling you my sense of what Scripture teaches about. You don't have to name a party, you, but but people need a political philosophy or theology, and that's what I'm talking about, Ryan. That that is just not done.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I want to spend most of the beginning talking about the effects of scientism and secularism, how it has influenced the church and schools, because I think, in my understanding, in my view, is that most people are completely unaware of it. Uh, They don't even realize. They just think, well, no, that's just what Christians do. That's how we act. That's how we talk. That's what's normal. Not realizing this is a shift that has happened because of an other worldview coming in and influencing the way that we think. And so here in our last, you know, 10 minutes that we have, your book is about responding to it. And I want to look at two main things that you mentioned. And again, maybe we'll have another interview in the future, but again, encourage people to go out and get the book, Scientism and Secularism by J.P. Moreland. Uh, But the first thing I want to ask is, is you mentioned that scientism is self-refuting. What does self-refuting mean and how is scientism self-refuting?
1: Well, good question. Something is self-refuting if it makes itself false. Example, uh, the statement, no sentence of English is longer than three words. Well, that statement makes is itself longer than three words, so it, it refutes itself. It's so the statement, there are no truths, that's being offered as a truth. I don't exist. Uh, now, the statement, the only way that you can uh, know truth about reality is through the hard sciences, is not itself something that can be tested through the hard sciences. And so by its own standards of rational true acceptability it fails to live up to its own standards and falsifies itself i met a guy at a dinner party uh who was a physicist who told me you know i used to be interested in religion and philosophy when i was a teenager but now that i've grown up intellectually i know that's nothing but a bunch of hot air and idle opinion If you can't quantify it and test it in the lab, then nobody can know it's true or not. Only what you can test in the physics and chemistry lab can you know is true. I kid you not. Well, I let him talk for a few minutes, and I stopped him and said, "I, I, I understand your view, but you've made about 30 or 40 assertions in the last few minutes, and I can't think of a single one of them that could be quantified and tested in physics, chemistry, or the hard sciences. Please tell me if I'm wrong, and tell me which statement you've made that could be so tested. But do you see if I'm right? Then what you've been doing the last two or three minutes is nothing but spewing hot air and idle opinion. Uh, Help (laughs) me here. Help me. And boy, this guy was shocked. Um, I didn't say it in a bad way. I just pointed out to him. And it was like somebody hit him over there with a two-by-four. It was unbelievable.
0: Why do you think that's such new knowledge, uh, to even someone who has a PhD in physics, that they haven't realized and thought through that?
1: People today are not taught philosophy and just basic logic. I'm talking about basic logic in high school and in college. I mean, when I became a Christian and began to read philosophy— I thought it was psychology misspelled. I mean, I had no idea what it was. So you can get a Ph.D. in any subject and be as as stupid as a cabbage when it comes to being able to reason philosophically. Kids in your class reason better philosophically than people with Ph.D.'s outside of philosophy.
0: Well, we spend a lot of time in philosophy. I even teach, a, 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 well, philosophy of ethics, but go over a lot of philosophy and reasoning. But what I do find is what you said is true, is that when I go speak to, uh, in summer camps, uh, high school groups, uh, wherever it may be, I, I, in a lot of my talks, have to focus on what is truth, uh, objective versus subjective truth, how do we know truth, the correspondence theory of truth, uh, what about things that contradict truth, like the law of non-contradiction and you know law of identity. And uh, most students, in fact, even when I go speak to youth leaders and I say, who's heard of the correspondence theory of truth? Who has heard of the law of non-contradiction? Who knows the difference between objective versus subjective truth? Um, I get very few hands raised.
1: And that saddens me. Yeah. That saddens me.
0: So I think one of the biggest things, is is you just mentioned, scientism is self-refuting, that it is making a claim that itself cannot support um, about science. But also I think another big thing is that uh, scientism is actually the enemy of science. Yes. Uh, why is scientism the enemy of science?
1: Well, in the book, I list a uh, whole number of the presuppositions of science. Uh, if these presuppositions aren't true, then science loses its claim to give us truth about reality. Uh, every one of those assumptions of science have been criticized and rejected by members of the academic world. Uh, and so the task of stating and defending those assumptions is not something science can do it can't defend it's own. it's a task of philosophy when scientism limits knowledge to science then what it does is it robs philosophy <clears throat> of the ability to undergird the presuppositions of science and make it credible by defending those presuppositions and i list a whole host of them. We don't have time to go over them, yeah. but the interested reader will discover that there are all kinds of assumptions, like what is truth? Uh, is it correspondence with reality or something else? And that's not a scientific question. That's a philosophical question. So it's things like that.
0: Yeah, and another one being uh, ethics, like a murder is, it is wrong to intentionally kill, you know, murder uh, someone without proper justification.
1: Right. And and you report your test results honestly yeah, and, and fairly. That's, that's an absolute value that science can't function without.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious if you could explain something a little bit better than I did. So yesterday in my class, we were going over scientism and naturalism and, and talking about what it can't show. And the first thing is that it it presumes too much of science. Right, and that if you're going to say that I only believe in science, or I only believe things exist if they're scientifically proven, which is kind of like you know the Nacho Libre thing, you know, I just believe in science. You know, I get that all the time. I'm not a Christian. I believe in science. Um, If you only believe that things exist if they've been scientifically proven, well, science has not been scientifically proven, therefore, science couldn't exist.
1: That's right. And and um, the statement, I only believe in what science can prove exists. Is a is a self-refuting statement because uh, science does not give us a view of everything that's real. It never, it cannot claim that it's very limited. It it studies a small range of things that are physical and measurable, and that's it. It can't study uh, the, the the soul or consciousness or math or logic, and all kinds of things. So I like your response. I like your uh, Your response there.
0: Okay, so then we've been talking a lot about this. We brought this up kind of at the beginning, but for someone who's listening, man, you just seem to be very negative about science. How can Christians now uh, adopt a proper view of science?
1: Well, Ryan, I hate to say this, but really, if they would read the book uh, uh, that they're going to get in the very introduction of the book how wonderful science is, and how Christians should love and embrace and go into science, but not into scientism. Yeah. And I make a very clear distinction that I think will help people.
0: All right. And the last thing, we got two minutes left. Uh, I was I was blown away when I read this, and I, I would love for you to explain it in the last little bit that we have, is that you actually made the claim that we can know moral truths better and more confidently than scientific truths why is that
1: well there are certain moral truths and scientific truths that fit that so for example i know that torturing little babies for the fun of it's wrong i know that i don't you might not know how you know it but you don't need to know how you know it before you can know it we all know that it's self-evident uh ryan i can't imagine any any evidence that we would discover in the next 50 years that would suddenly make it irrational to believe that torturing little babies for the fun of it is wrong. Now contrast that with the claim that electrons exist. The problem with that claim is that the history of the electron from German wave theory to J.J. Thompson's particle theory to the ether uh, theory of the electron to the Bohr electron, to the current quantum electron, what we mean by an electron has changed so much that when you ask me if I believe in an electron, I don't believe Bohr electrons existed, and I don't believe Thomsonian electrons existed. You have to mean, do you believe the quantum electron exists? My answer is yes, but I could easily imagine in the next 50 years, science would make discoveries that would indicate that the quantum electron uh, never existed any more than the other electrons in the history of electron theory. So, while I do believe in electrons, I'm more tentative about it because it's, it's sensible to think that someday we might not believe in it anymore. But I can't imagine any evidence that would make my belief that torturing babies for the fun of it is an irrational, stupid thing to believe yeah
0: wow well we are out of time and this is this man this was such a blessing I, I'm so happy that I was able to have this conversation with you thank you so much for coming on and to discuss this new book
1: you're so welcome brother you're the man i
0: appreciate <laughs> thank you and I hope this is encouraging to everybody listening that they would go out and buy a copy and understand how this is affecting us uh, really quick is there is there a place where people can go to get more information about you the other books that you've written uh, and and what you do
1: yes I think is a good place to go to my author page or my website jpmorland.com and that'll
0: do it perfect JP thank you so much for taking the time this morning with me you're so welcome and thanks to all of you listeners send in those questions and comments for a possible future episode with Dr. JP Moreland. sip coffee think deeply this is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pauley
1: I just you leave. won't hesitate to follow your love will guide my way.